0: Would you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the attention of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I have one additional reading for you. It's short. This is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Last week we began to look at this passage Acts 2, 42 especially, and the four elements of early Christian existence that are present here. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And I suggested to you you that these contain the essential elements of what it means to be church, what it means to be in Christ. And so as at the beginning of the year, we are looking ahead to what is before us, as a church and as a congregation, it's a good time to recenter ourselves on what it means to be in Christ, what it means to be together as bread of life. And last week we thought a little bit together about the apostles' teaching, the fact fact that Jesus called for himself specific ministers that he spent time with and communicated his message to and empowered them by the Holy Spirit to go forth and to proclaim his message. That there was a particularity to Christian faith embodied in the apostolic message and that it is our calling as a church to hear that, to listen to it. Today I want to talk with you about the fellowship, the fact that the early Christians listened to the apostles' message, but they didn't do it alone. Twenty-four years ago, at the turn of the millennium, in the year 2000, The year we all thought all the computers, some of you are too small, or too small, too young for this. Um, We all thought the computers and everything was gonna shut down, and thankfully it didn't happen. But in this year, Robert Putnam, professor of public policy at Harvard University, published an important study on the state of community life in America, called Bowling Alone. And the premise of the book is this. People used to bowl with friends, or on teams, or in leagues, or, in a group setting. But now, mostly they bowl alone. And this, Putnam says, is not an isolated fact, but is part of a wider trend in our culture of being alone, of the degradation and loss of institutions, of community life that make us belong to one another. I don't know if this resonates. It's 24 years old. But it seems to me that 24 years later we have become even more a culture of individuals. And this individual centeredness is evident I think in our language. We watch YouTube where you can put anything you want online and you are in control. We have an iPhone or an iMac which tells me that I am the center of what's happening. Burger King tells us, I don't know if they they still use this logo, but you can have it your way. Endlessly customizable options are there for our endlessly customizable identities. It's true that individuals, as individuals, we can connect with other individuals over social media. And we can even become celebrities. I can't, but some of you could. We can create movements. This is what the social part of social media is about. But we do it on our own terms. And increasingly it happens as you sit alone on a couch with your phone. We are alone and loving it. Or actually, maybe we aren't loving it. Putnam suggests, and I think he's right, that this trend in loneliness is closely correlated to decreasing satisfaction in life. I think you might know this in your own experience. Despite all of the new ways of connecting, we know what it means to feel alone just as much, if not more, than before. And many of us feel that it might not be so good for us to be alone. In fact, that seems to be what the Lord said all the way back in Genesis 2. This inherited characteristic of modern Western culture is something that has made its way into the Christian faith as it is experienced by many, if not most of us. Think about it this way. The gospel message is often presented as something that is principally to be responded to by individuals. Individuals an individual inner decision. I'm not saying this isn't real, but hear how individual it is. Our spiritual lives happen largely in private. Our spiritual judgments are our own. We discern individually on our own what we think is best, seldom informed by or accountable to communal discernment. In recent years and decades especially, we tend to create large and loud anonymous settings Where we can worship alone in a crowd. Not trying to knock a certain style of church. But do you hear how you can be alone in the midst of your Christian life? At the end of our lives we go individually it seems to be with me and Jesus. Forgetting that great company of the saints that we go to share with. The individual, the fact that all of us are individuals is something that we cannot escape. And it's not wrong or bad to pay attention to that. But think about how foreign this emphasis in a culture of individualism, how foreign this is to the faith of the Bible. Listen again to Jeremiah. And notice all of the first person plural that you hear in this. From our youth, he laments, the shameful thing has devoured all for which our fathers labored, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. This is not sadness about what I'm experiencing. This is a sadness about what has happened to our family, to our people. Let us lie down in our shame, he says, in despondence, and let our dishonor cover us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth even to this day, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. This biblical self-consciousness is a self-consciousness about a we, do you hear the communal identity present in the consciousness also in Psalm 130, where there is hope, O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, not just O oh, you individual believer, O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is steadfast love, plentiful redemption, he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The default assumption for most of our lives is that we're trying to navigate how, if we're, if, if we're Christians, we're trying to navigate our relationship with God. By, by our, I mean our individual one. And I think if we're to hold fast to the fellowship, the way that the early apostles and the early Christians do, we have to have a change of perspective. We might need to learn the meaning of that African proverb, I am because we are. Okay, so that was point one. Holding fast to the fellowship means a change in perspective, an inclusion in our sense of identity of our corporate self. Number two is that holding fast in the, to the fellowship requires time together. Here's a secret. You cannot actually develop relationships with people unless you are with people. In our gospel reading, Jesus calls, the, as soon as he begins preaching, He calls disciples to be with him, to be with him. There's so much of what transpires in their life that we don't hear. We don't hear anything about the times that they cooked meals together. We don't hear anything about the hard work of the day. We hear the high points, but there was a whole life of togetherness that stands behind the apostles' presence with the Lord. They leave their father in the boat and they go to be with him, they make a choice. About how they're going to spend their time. One of the stories that I love telling, excuse me, about Bread of Life that I've only heard from Ryan and from Amy and from others is that nobody started off to make a church at Bread of Life. Nobody started off to plant this church. I don't think you did. There was, at the very beginning, a fellowship. There was a devotion to one another. There was a shared table where there were countless numbers of shared meals in the O'Dowd home. And prayers were offered and stories were exchanged. And people came to know one another. There was intimacy. And here's what has happened. The Lord has built a church in the midst of this. He had an idea about it. Only later did we come to see what would come of it. Life together is part of the DNA of Bread of Life. And it's something for us to hold fast to in the new year. There's an extra table in the back of the room, um, and it has a bunch of clipboards on it. And on those clipboards are opportunities for you to sign up to be engaged in life together, for you to devote yourself to the fellowship. There's a couple of different options I'm going to tell you about. I'm not going to read you the list of them all. Uh, but There's two basic types of groups. One is what we've called core groups, Now some of you are already participating in this and some of you are not. It's groups of three to four people who gather usually once a week for prayer, for encouragement, to know one another and to encourage one another in their life together in Christ. If you sign up on the sheet for there, we'll connect you with a group of people who are interested in doing that together. It's a great way to get connected and to not be alone. There's all, several other opportunities for small groups of people who are gathering together for, usually for some sort of study or for a particular purpose. You'll have to hear about those later. But I encourage you. I know we live very busy lives. So don't lay this burden upon you as just one more thing to do. But I want to tell you that this is where the juice of Christian life is. I know it's really great to listen to me preach up front. I know it's really good. I know it's what you were hoping to do as soon as you woke up this morning. But life in Christ is something that we do together. And it doesn't principally happen... Well, it does, in fact, centrally happen here when we share together in the Eucharist. But it happens throughout the week. Here's the thing. Holding fast to the fellowship of the faith is an action that we engage in. But it's not an action that is strenuous. It is something that gives us peace. You might not think this listening to Paul's Counsel to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 7. But I think this is the truth that's embedded there. Paul is writing to a church that has different people from different walks of life. There are those who are circumcised and uncircumcised, meaning there are those who are Jewish and then there are those who are not Jewish. There are those who are slaves and those who are free people. imagine quite different sorts of experiences this does not exhaust the list of all the differences these are just some that he's responding to difference in a community breeds a measure of anxiety we are with people who are slightly different from us and we're not sure how they're going to respond to us we're not sure exactly how much we share in common and therefore how much we can depend upon a shared understanding when we go to say something or to tell a joke This is the kind of community Paul speaks into. And what he counsels is that there shouldn't be an assimilation of one form of existence to another. Paul, the Jewish apostle, faced with the possibility of telling everyone they should become circumcised or that immediately all those slaves should should do everything they can do to earn their freedom, although he does, in fact, urge that. I think Tony and I can talk about that because he knows more. He says... You are called in a certain way to be in Christ. And let each person live the life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called her. In whatever condition each was called, let them remain there with God. But he says then, let neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. And even the question of slavery is secondary to the identity of belonging with God to his, in his family. Listen to what he says, this is crazy to us. Were you a bondservant, a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man in the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant in Christ. The church is the place where we learn that we are not valued according to the categories of the world. Here we learn that amidst our differences, God is at work in our varied circumstances. And it's in the corporate fellowship of the saints that we learn that our individual callings are the partial, small arenas where God is at work in more broad, sweeping action through the church. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 3.10, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God is now being made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That is the kind of peace that Paul counsels to the church in Corinth is possible because in the fellowship of Christians, the fact that I am a slave and you are a free person is totally irrelevant to the union that we have with one another. Out there in the world, one might be a slave one might be free working for the freedom of that slave. But Here in the church, we only know the name of brother and sister. But your experience of this will be very thin unless you devote yourselves with the early Christians to the fellowship of the saints. Belonging to one another means that the significance of my life in your life is not really discovered in the narrative of an individual hero despite the amazingly powerful narratives that urge us to think this way. Friends, I am because we are. We are a we. And the we is formed because Jesus came to take for Himself a people. This corporate unity in His body is what we symbolize when we partake of a single loaf and a single cup. It is practiced in life together. And this is the meaning of our holding fast to the fellowship. Amen.